Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Anyone excited for church today? Come on. Anyone excited for the Niners winning their sixth Super Bowl today? Come on. I'm going to prophesy it. All the Raider fans, let me, just, let me just shout out to you. We're playing the Super Bowl in your stadium before you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Let's get to business. Uh, this Wednesday, we're doing something very special. We're having seven weeks of prayer. And the, the reason why behind this is every Wednesday between now and Easter, Easter is seven weeks away. And the reason why I want to tell you that is because 20 years ago, my sister would gather every Wednesday with a group of high school kids and college kids, and they would pray out loud every Wednesday for seven weeks during the summer for the salvation of their family. I was one of those people. I was voted least likely to ever become a Christian in high school and college, and here I am staying on this stage. And with man, it's impossible. But with God, anything is impossible. Amen? It's only impossible until God does it. And so I just believe with all of my heart that there are people that God has placed in your life that you, you're saying they're never going to come. Yeah, yeah, because if only you invited them. But what we want to do as a church, we want, before we talk to man about God, we want to talk to God about man. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray for those people that we've been invited and praying for. Maybe it's a brother or uncle. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe your best friend. Maybe it's your sister. And so I want everyone to pull out the connect card on your chair. And by faith, I just want you to write down a name of a person. So on the name, you put the name of that person. And on the email part, just put prayer. And at the end of the service, when we're doing our offering buckets, when we pass them out, I just want you to drop it in. On Wednesday, we're going to pray for those names. And then next Sunday, you're going to drop another name in. It could be the same name. And for seven weeks, we're just going to collect names. And my prayer is that this, this altar will be filled with names of people in your life that God has placed. And their destiny is going to change because you prayed for them. Amen? We are in a collection of talks called Life in Rhythm. Anyone excited for this collection of talks? And really, it's birthed out of this idea that Jesus said in John chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he, he is salvation. That there's no going to God the Father except through Jesus. But sometimes we forget he's not just our sacrifice. He's our example. And he said, I'm the way. And so there's a way he works, there's a way he rests, there's a way he does relationships. So the subtitle is Relational Discipleship. We're going to go there in a couple weeks about marriage and boundaries and forgiveness. And let me just shadow, on March, I believe it's 10th. We haven't done this in five years. We're having a wedding service. Some of y'all are living together. And it's time to get right with God before you get a piece of paper from California. So on that Sunday, I'm going to wear a tuxedo t-shirt. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to make that opportunity for any of you. Let's get right with God. Let's, let's see what God can do with your obedience. Amen? And today's subject, if you're new to church, it's one of the best Sundays you could have been here. Because what we're talking about today is underneath so much of why people aren't growing spiritually. What we're talking about today is underneath so much of our mental health and underneath so much of our depression and so underneath so much of our anxiety. If people were to ask me, Pastor Ali, why is there such a 
mental health pandemic right ha- happening in our culture right now and in the church, it's what we're talking about today. So you, we need this. And before we begin, I just want to tell you a story. There was a guy I heard about this last week. He, his name is Rich. I want, to, I want to share his identity. Let's call him Rich for this example. And he's living with his girlfriend, and his mom is like uber Christian, right? Like related to Ned Flanders Christian. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And he, he's feeling this pressure of rent in California. He's, it's, it's hard, but at the same time, he's like, we can't do this apart, so we're going to live together. And he's trying to tell his mom, Mom, it's totally platonic. Knowing that if he tells her what's actually happening, she's going to judge him, get angry. He's like, Mom, just come over for dinner. And his girlfriend is Allison at the time. And they're over, his mom's over for dinner, and they're eating. And Rich's mom goes, Allison, your watch is beautiful. Can I take a look at it? She goes, of course. And she hands his, Rich's mom the watch. And he's like, man, I've been looking for a watch just like this for a long time. And sometimes it's like the conversation would get awkward because, like, it's hard and Later that week, Allison goes to Rich. He goes, Rich, I can't find my watch. And I'm not saying your mom stole it, but, like, the fact remains, like, she was the last one with the watch. Maybe by accident it fell in her purse. And so Rich, being very upset, he wrote an email that says this, and I quote, Dear Mom, obviously I'm not saying you took the watch, but the fact remains, the watch is missing And you're the last one that had it. And like 10 minutes later, Rich's mom writes a very equally terse email. Right back to him. Says, dear Rich, obviously I'm not saying you're sleeping with Allison. But the fact remains, if she had been sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the watch on her pillow right where I left it. Shots fired. Now, two things. Number one, that story is awesome. Number two, that story is totally made up. Because the reality is all of us have an area of our life that we want hidden. Part of our life that we don't want other people to see. So we, we hide it because there's shame there. And we work really, really hard to make sure that no one sees that part of us. We only present the part that's noble and honorable. Because we think if they saw that part of my life, they would reject me. And that's, that, that thought process only got perpetuated in COVID. I'm not sure many of you know this, but the suicide rate during COVID skyrocketed. It got so large in Santa Clara County, they stopped publicly displaying those numbers. Depression went up. The highest number of people who are on Prozac in the country are in Silicon Valley. Divorce skyrocketed. Why? Because we were trained to do the very thing that our souls don't want to do. I remember going to Costco during COVID, and there were these stickers on the ground. Some of you remember them. They're still on some businesses. Stay six feet apart. God forbid you ever cough in public. People look at you like you're about to be a zombie or something, right? And you were taught if you ever get sick or if you're contaminated, go home and self-isolate. And you, you couldn't go to public even if you ate outside. I remember one time I was walking across on, like doing a prayer walk and I wasn't wearing a mask. And this is like Santa Clara County. It's like a foreign country. Everyone wore a mask, even outside. And there were these people that were on my side of the sidewalk. They crossed the street because I wasn't wearing a mask. And that, not, I'm not trying to say these things, these measures that we took are bad. Don't hear me wrong. I'm just saying what we did to protect our bodies hurt us spiritually. 
And so often what you don't realize is it wasn't just for a week that we lived this way or a month. This was like two and a half years. There are statistics say that the, the highest rate of depression right now is happening with seniors in high school because COVID happened their freshman year. I was reading an article. It didn't just change our social skills. It changed even the way we work. Forbes magazine wrote this article uh, about a year ago. It says, employees have missed out on an important social interaction at the office. And as a result, many of the skills around teamwork, collaboration, and creativity that help drive productivity and culture and competitiveness are now at risk. They literally had to teach, have classes for employees. This is how you say hi. This is how you ask someone how their day is going. Because we forgot. And it wasn't just our social skills that were crushing us. Listen, during COVID, we learned to deal with depression alone. We learned to deal with our marriage problems alone. We learned to deal with our addictions alone. And I wrote it like this. COVID trained you to self-isolate. And you have brought those habits to church. And the things you did to protect your body are destroying your soul. Which is why the title of today's sermon is simply this. Because this is the antidote to those issues. This is the solution to everything. Community. Someone shout community. community. I need this because I want to go deep today. I'm going to teach and then I'm going to preach. I'm going to be a professor for the first 20 minutes and then I'm going to be a prophet the last 20. So when I get to the end, shout me down because there are going to be people in this room that have never done community, and your words and your actions in those moments are going to compel them to come be part of this church. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, because I believe God wants to change some people in this room. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you, God. God, we've always been hiding from you. And the message of the Bible, God, is that you pursue your enemies. You don't go after good people. You go after the sick, the broken, the addicted. There are people in this room, God, that think you're a judge and an angry father. But God, you're the friend of sinners. And may we walk in one way, God, and we, may we walk out another. May we not just come for a talk, may we come for transformation. May we believe with all of our hearts this morning. Would you reveal yourself to some people in this room who don't even know if you're real? God, we didn't come to study you. We came to experience you. Come, Lord Jesus. If you believe that, everybody said? Everybody said? Could we just give Jesus a round of applause? Come on. If you have your Bibles with you, if not, don't worry. Go to 1 John chapter 5. If, when it's on the screen, someone shout amen. amen. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness. Somebody shout darkness. darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, somebody shout light. light. Our tribe, we're a loud church, so help me preach this. He is, the, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I need you to write these two questions down. What does the Bible mean when it says walk in the light? And what does it mean to walk in the darkness? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what it looks like to be in community. Some of you have a preconceived notion that I need to break down and build up a biblical one. Amen? It continues at verse 6. But 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is, go, sorry, go back. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So let me teach before I preach. The apostle John, he is one of the 12 apostles, and he wrote five books in the New Testament. Literally, there's 27 books in the New Testament. This man wrote 20% of them. And it's significant because this man wrote one of the best gospels, the Gospel of John. And he also wrote the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelations. And in between these powerhouse books, he wrote a trilogy. First, second, and third John. Sometimes when I say the word trilogy, you think Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, different trilogy. It just means he wrote three books back to back to back. And this man, he almost wrote the book of 1 John, almost like a discipleship pamphlet. Many times when he wrote the Gospel of John, it was for everyone. When he wrote the Gospel of Revelations, or the book of Revelation, it was for the seven churches. This book has a different tone, though. This tone is as if he's talking to his life group. And John, you need to know, he's, he's, he's one of very select men that had access to Jesus that others didn't have. In 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus showed his resurrected body to 500 men. 500 people. How many women were there? We don't even know. Because in the Bible, whenever we hear he's feeding 4,000 or he's feeding 5,000, 5, it only counts the men in that culture. So there are presumably, Jesus has a church of maybe 1,000 or 1,200 people that believe in him as Savior. But listen, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72. He had a dream team. Who's part of the dream team at Bold Church? Can we make some noise? He had a team of 72 that he would send out to do the work of the ministry. But of the 500... It got down to 72, and of the 72, it got down even smaller. He did leadership. He gave access to 12 men that he didn't give anybody else. But listen, there was another circle that's even smaller. There were three that he watched the Super Bowl with. And because Jesus is in heaven saying, bang, bang, Niner gang right now, come on. Talk about it. Trying to make the Bible interesting. Don't get angry. <laughs> but there were things that Jesus did with the three he didn't do with the other 12. He had, John the Apostle had access. He saw things that no one else saw, which is why he's the only apostle that uses this analogy of light and darkness. Look what it says in John chapter 8. The Apostle John is the only one who records Jesus saying these words, I am the light. Someone say the light. The light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk, in, never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Even though there were 72 being discipled, 72 being sent out, and even though there was 12 that, that did leadership, there were three that saw things that no one else saw, so they said things that no one else said. There was one time, literally the night before, Jesus was about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified for the sins of the world. He invites his rider dies, the three Peter, James, and John, I need you three to pray for me. He didn't ask the other nine, by the way. And there's this one time in the book of Matthew, it's recorded, Jesus goes up to the mountain to be encouraged by two people in heaven. They come down, Moses and Elijah. And Matthew records this. This is Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It says this. That which was from the beginning. No, no, no. Next one, I'm sorry, next one. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James 
and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. Someone say transfigured. Transfigured. It just means Jesus revealed who he really was before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Someone say, as light. This is Matthew, but he wasn't there. This is an eyewitness account. He goes, what did you guys see? Let me write it down. The reason why Matthew never talked about light and darkness, because he wasn't there. John saw those things. And that's what John tries to tell us in, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the previous slide. My apologies. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Someone say heard. heard. Which we have seen. Someone say seen. With our eyes, that which we looked upon and touched. Someone say touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's saying, bro, I, I saw things and heard things. Others of you heard about, I was in the room. I sat shotgun for all of it. So I want to go to this question. What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in darkness? Because the Apostle John He's the only gospel writer that uses that analogy. And the reason he says things that no one else says, because he saw things no one else saw. And many of you in this room, you, th- you think the Bible is a book about doing good and not doing bad. And you almost think, like, being in the light is good and being in the darkness is bad. And I just want to pause. This is not Star Wars. This is Christianity. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. The Bible's not a story of like good guys and bad guys, and God loves the good guys. As if there's some levels to this. Let me remind you, it says it like this. The the logo of Christianity is the cross and not a ladder. It's not like Mother Teresa's at the top and like cowboy fans are at the bottom. Or Mother Teresa's at the top and Hitler's at the bottom. We are all on the same level playing field. And some of you, that's offensive because God sees you as sinful as Hitler. I've never killed anyone, but in your heart you did. No, 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 but I I helped the homeless. And the Bible literally says in Isaiah that our good works are a dirty rag. Let's go a little bit deeper, can we? The Hebrew word for dirty rags is menstrual rags. You're bringing your dirty tampon to God saying, let me into heaven. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh. The Bible is not a story of God loving good people that are in the light. It's a story of God loving sinful, broken people. Amen? So when the Bible says walk in the light, it's not saying don't walk with sin because all of you already have it. So what does the Bible mean? Because if you understand this, community will make sense. And you, you long for something that your heart has been craving for, and you've been looking for it in all the wrong places. Let me show you verse 7. It says this. But if we walk in the light, someone say walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. God is not saying, I need you to not be sinless, and I'll cleanse you if you don't have sin. As long as you... I'll cleanse you of sin as long as you don't have any. Think about what you believe for a second. You think walking in light is not having sin, and he's only going to cleanse you if you don't have any. Then watch the next verse. It just confuses you even more. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
So he's only going to cleanse you if you don't have sin. But then if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. Which one is it? Listen, God's not your crazy ex-girlfriend who says something on Monday and then changes her mind on Tuesday. The issue is you don't understand what walking in the light means. So can we go a little bit deeper? Let's, let's use an illustration. Dalen, can you turn the lights off? Now, all the lights are off. Am I more sinful? A little bit louder. Okay, turn the lights back on. Now that I'm in the light, am I more righteous? I'm just more revealed. When I'm in the darkness, I'm more hidden. One more time. All the lights. Turn this off too. Now, what we do is instead of walking in the light, we've learned to walk the spotlight. We think because of shame, because shame says, not that I made a mistake, I am a mistake. And shame says, if I show you who, who I really am, you won't love me. So I need to pretend to be someone because you only love that version of me. Because we're so afraid of being rejected and showing people the real us, we work the spotlight. And this is what we do. I'm going to use my body as an illustration of what we do for our soul. You'll do this. You'll show people only parts of your life. The noble parts. The, the good, righteous parts. Oh, these are my, these are my Doc Martens. They go with all my jeans. And yes, some of you make fun of my jeans. I only have one color, black. And some of you are even ruder than that and go, Pastor Allen, why are your jeans so tight? <laughs> are those your wife's jeans? Yes, they are. I identify as awesome. That's why I wear them. These are actually Lululemon pants that I've sewn pockets on. Thank you. And every time you laugh at your pastor, can I just show you a visual image of what I see? Can we just play this video real quick? Let's get back to the sermon. But when I work the spotlight, I only show you the parts of my life that I want to. I'm not going to show you my shirt because there's a stain on it. There's sin over there. So I'm not walking in the light. I'm walking in a spotlight. And what some of you are doing is you have been forgiven, but you haven't been healed. And because you walk in darkness, you're, you're going to heaven. But that issue is never going to go away. Because only when you walk in the light does sin get broken. Turn the lights back on real quick. I want to show you the same principle, but with this. Imagine for a moment, this is your life this whiteboard and all of us in this room whenever we meet someone new whether it's at the gym or at church or we meet a friend at work and we're like oh my gosh you're a nerd like me you love Star Wars yay and there are parts of our life that we'll share with people but then there's a part of our life we will never let me say that again we will never share with people so for example many of you in this room They'll share about the TV shows you watch. Anybody excited for Dune chapter two? I can't wait. 
Stranger Things, season four, can't wait. Can't wait. And we'll talk about the TV shows we watch, because that's the part of our life that's in the light. And then we'll, let's add another one. How about, how about our kids, right? We'll talk about our kids, but only the good parts. They're playing soccer, they made a craft at school. We'll, we'll show you the family portrait that where everyone's smiling. We won't show the 100 pictures where we threatened their life if they didn't stop playing. Because there's parts of our life we'll show and then the parts of our life we'll never show you. Well, we almost put them up for adoption at picture 98, right? And then there's things like hobbies we'll put over here. Some of you love reading. Some of you love going on walks. You know, some of you love crafting, whatever it is. Parts of our life that we share with other people that we'll share, that, that are in the light. And then there's some of you that are like super weird and you have this weird dietary thing. And we're, we're praying for you, you're a vegan. How do you know someone's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. They don't ever shut up. And then there's some of you that like love to work out a certain way. It's the best way to work out. I'm not even write the word yet, and all of you know what I'm saying. Say it out loud. Thank you. Cross moron is what we should call it. Ouch. And these are the parts of our life that we'll share. Because we're working the spotlight. But then there's a part of our life, and everyone, including myself, we all do this. I call this the line of shame. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. And many of you in this room, you're Christian and you get uncomfortable dressing in front of your spouse. That's shame. See, COVID was not the first time we learned to go in hiding. Adam and Eve were the first ones to go into shelter in place. Whereas we did shelter in place in our homes, Adam and Eve used fig leaves to hide. And from the beginning, the moment sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, it says they were naked and they knew it and they hid from each other. All COVID did was not expose us to a new spiritual reality, but the very first one. And there's a part of our life that we will never share with others. For some of us, it's the sins that we can't break. For some of us, it's the porn addiction. And I don't just add these words to be controversial. I add these words because statistically speaking, 70% of the men struggle with this and one-third of the women in this room struggle with this. This is a real issue. For some of us, it's our marriage. We only put the happy faces. This is my boo. Fellas, you have three days to Valentine's Day. That's my warning. But we'll come to church smiling. How are you? Blessed and highly favored of the Lord. How are you? And we drove to church in silence the whole way. Because we'll show people this side of us, but because of sham, we won't show this side. 
Can we go even deeper? There are many of you in this room. Someone touched you when you were young and you've never told anyone. And there's this shame that you feel. They took innocence. They took something from you. And you might have told your husband or you might have told your wife, but none of your friends know. That's what it means to walk in darkness. What about depression? I see this most often in men. Not that men are more depressed, but there's this machismo attitude in our culture that men are always supposed to be strong. And if we tell people we're depressed, that means we're weak and we don't want to be weak. So we'll hide the depression behind the fake smile. And the one I've often seen that we don't like to talk about is the abortion. We did it, but we'll never tell anyone. Or maybe you were the boyfriend that told her to go get one. That's what it means to walk in darkness. I'm going to read this verse to you. This is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, someone say confess, our sins, he is faithful. Someone say faithful. You need to understand that this verse, there's an if and then a then part. If you do the first part, you get the benefit of the then part. And notice it doesn't say, if you confess five times, then he'll forgive you five times. But on six, good luck. It says, if you confess, and there's no limitation. Let me just break some shackles off your shoulders. You need to pray this every morning. Because every morning you're going to sin. What about on my best day? You're still ratchet. Still broke. On my best day. If you took my thoughts and put them on a wall, you would all leave this church. Let's be real. Which is why God needs you to confess because there's a promise. If you confess to him and it goes up, then he's faithful to forgive. Someone say forgive and to cleanse. But notice the word healing is not there. That's why many of you in this room, you're forgiven but you're still walking with a limp. There's that weed issue, that porn issue, that alcohol issue, and you've been walking with a limp your whole Christianity because you think as long as I confess to him that I'm good, that everything will be fine. You only get forgiveness with God and cleansing. There's something else that only happens in community. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore confess, someone shout confess, your sins to one Another. See, the first one was vertical. This one's horizontal. This is, I'm talking to all the people online. I love that you watch this online, but you need to get in the room. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Someone shout healed. healed. The prayer of a righteous person. It's, and I, for the first three years of Christianity, this is what I thought. Maybe one day if I walk well with God, I'll be righteous. And then my prayers will be good. Not realizing Jesus lived the sinless, perfect life 
So he died for my unrighteousness. He died for all the things that I would write underneath this line. But that's only half the gospel. The other half of the gospel is that he gives us his righteousness. So that when I stand before God, I have the same righteousness as the Apostle Paul. As the Pope. As any pastor in America. Because not righteousness is not something you give God. Righteousness is something Jesus gives you. So the moment you place your faith in Jesus, your prayers are heard and they're powerful. I wrote like this, confession to God brings forgiveness. But confession to community brings healing. The antidote to why you're not growing, the antidote to why you're stuck in a cycle of sin, in your depression, is you don't have the second part of that equation. I remember, I remember when I was about 10 years old and I felt forgiveness. See, I'd been a Christian for two years at the age of 24, but I didn't feel the forgiveness of God until I became 26. But you had to go back almost 15 years prior to that. I was 10. My friend called me. He's like, dude, you need to come over. This is like before cell phones. This is before the internet. We had pagers back then, right? Anyone remember what pagers were? Only drug dealers and Raider fans had those things. It was crazy. Like, I was not about that life, so I didn't know. But he called me with a landline. Like, he had to turn a number, and then I had to pick up the phone. And he called five of us. He's like, guys, come over. I found my dad's magazines. This is everyone's favorite subject, right? When your pastor started watching porn, it's like everyone's favorite subject. <laughs> Remember the image of the dog? Yeah, it's right now. So like five of us, we go over to my friend's house. I still remember the day during the summer. I remember walking up the driveway. I remember he's like, dude, he, we didn't have the courage to watch and read the magazines in the driveway. We had to like hide in the backyard. And it began a decade and a half of this addiction. So now I'm 26, 15, 16 years later. And when I first came to Christ, God began to convict me of my tongue. He began to convict me of what I would call liquid courage, only drinking to have a good time and get high. And it wasn't until a year into my faith, year and a half, that he began to convict me. See, the devil will will put shame on you. You're, you are a mistake. Whereas when, when the God gives you conviction, it's to help you come out of the, sh the shame and sin. It's different. And I began to have this, what I call the crazy cycle. God, I am so sorry. I never want to do this again. And I'd go for three weeks and then stumble. And then repeat the cycle over and over and over again. I remember I, I couldn't, literally couldn't do it anymore. And one day after life group, pulled a guy who was, I'm really close with. And this is like hard like for a man to tell someone else that he struggles with this. And I'm telling my, he's a friend of mine, and I couldn't even look up. I had to like look down. And I, and I confessed, like, hey, I need your prayer. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. He's like, for what? And I'm like, I have this porn. And I couldn't even like get the words out. And I had to like look down, and as soon as I said it, like there was a silence. I'm like, oh, I need to leave this church. 
need to start over somewhere else. And I'll never forget, he said, me too. I'm like, bro, why didn't you say nothing? He was silent for the same reason I was. Shame. Shame. And it wasn't until I confessed, it was the first time in two years I felt the forgiveness of God. And for some of you, that still won't convince you to confess. So I'm going to read this verse and open it up, and I'm praying that Jesus will convince you. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess, someone say confess. He is faithful and just. Somebody shout just. Just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. That word just is very interesting because how can God be just and have justice and at the same time forgive? Those two things don't go together. Forgiveness is not justice. This is where I preach a little bit instead of teach. Justice says you get what you deserve. Forgiveness says you get what you don't deserve. And how can God be both at the same time? How can he forgive and have justice? And when you catch this, it will change your walk with God. A few verses later, 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Newsflash, you're going to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Somebody shout advocate. advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. For those of you who went to public school, he is the substitute for our sins. But not only, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love that verse. That Greek word, advocate, literally translated means defense attorney. So when you sin, the law of God and the devil rise up in the court and say, Ali deserves death. He sinned against you, God. And your word says that the wage of sin is death. He deserves to die. But a defense attorney gets up in the same courtroom and goes, Your Honor, may I object? And he cries for acquittal while the sin that I did cries for condemnation. In 2018, at a high school called Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, it was the largest and worst school shooting in U.S. history. 17 kids were murdered and 17 were shot critically by a crazy gunman. And the prosecution didn't want to clean up the school because they wanted the jury to walk through and see the bullet holes in the blood. Only problem was the trial was like four or five months later. And the school had to take in new students that were doing a tour of the school because they were starting school in like four months. So imagine there are these junior hires about to go to the school and they're walking into the high school for the very first time and they see all the bullet holes and they see the blood everywhere and they kept asking, why? Why didn't you clean up the blood? And the school gave the same answer. We want the blood to cry for justice because the man who did this deserves death. Your sin cries out for justice. But there's another one. And he's the advocate. And he's your defense attorney. And he goes, Your Honor, I know that you're a just God. I know that the, the sin they committed demands death. 
but you're a just God. And you won't punish the same crime twice. I paid for his sins. I'm not asking for mercy. I'm asking for an acquittal. He must be forgiven. That's what Jesus does for you. But you'll never feel the forgiveness of God until you ask for it. Until you confess. I wrote it like this. What the church of Jesus Christ does is it takes the grace that is executed in the courtroom of heaven and it makes it on earth as it is in heaven. A felt reality in the relationship of the church. Listen, you are one confession away from breakthrough. One confession from that thing being broken over your life. I said all of that for the last 30 minutes to get you to do one thing. You need to get into a life group. You need to get into a life group. You need to get into a life group. Let me say it a few more times. You need to get into a life group. And the problem is, COVID trained you to be in isolation. To hide. In your depression. To hide. In your anxiety. With your addictions. Because you think if no one knows, then I'll be good. I'll just pray to God. And you might be forgiven in your house. But you find feeling in the house. Because forgiveness, confession to God brings forgiveness. But confession in community, it brings healing. And there are some of you in this room, you're afraid of confessing. Well, if I confess, you know, I, what, what I did is so bad, Pastor Ali, it's not even on the board. I'm a Lakers fan. John 3, 6, 17. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn. Someone say to condemn. But in order that the world might be saved through him. The only version of Jesus that many of you know is the angry judge. And that's not who he is. He's the friend of sinners. And he left heaven. Listen. Not to die for those that are good. That are in church. That don't have addictions. Those that walk in the light. But those that live in the darkness. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the good. He came for the bad. And that God came for you. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, and has not another to lift him up. Do you know why COVID was so difficult? You did depression alone. You had your marriage problems alone. You had your addiction alone. Let me land the plane. I want to show you the picture. And the nerds in the room will know what, what movie this is. What movie is this? Lord of the Rings. Those are the nerds that said it out loud. It was Ethan, by the way. Let me just make that very clear. <laughs> If you haven't watched this movie, you're missing out. The guy doing the holding, Sam Ganji. The guy, like, laying down is Frodo Bab Bobbins, or Bibbins. Babbins, thank you. Totally forgot. Wow. The Lord of the Ring is really about this, this ring that 
was created in, in this like lava and this evil force. It's a story of like light and darkness, literally. Forces of evil, forces of good. And Frodo has the ring and he needs to destroy it. And he has to go to the ends of the earth and throw it in the lava pit that it was created in. And the whole movie, this thing is changing Frodo. It's the weight of this ring becomes too much. And at the very end of the third movie, spoiler alert, he gets within a mile of the, the lava, this lava where he has to throw it in, and he lays down on the ground and goes, I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to die. And Sam, who is a picture of the Holy Spirit, by the way, says this, come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. That's a picture of community. That right there is why you need to get to a life group. Because you don't have the strength for depression. You don't have the strength for your addiction. You don't have the strength for your marriage problems. And we can't carry it for you, but we can carry you until God does. Or do something very different. I need everyone to pull out their phones. And for those of you that are not tech savvy, I am sending a text message to the entire church. No, it's not working. Dang it, should have checked before I did this. Okay, let me show you how this works for those of you that are not tech savvy. You just get your camera, you put it on the QR code, and you tap, and you see this yellow thing, boom. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for a group before you walk out of this room. There is no reason for anyone in our community to not be in a life group. COVID taught you to live in self-isolation. Jesus wants to break what started in the garden and got magnified in COVID. We're going to break it in Jesus' name. No more shame. No more shame. You guys can bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I pray for our church. Pray for the Christians in this room to have the courage to walk in the light. No more hiding, God. No more hiding. I pray for the people in this room, God, that are dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, marriage issues, and they've never told anyone. And God, they may be forgiven. God, may this be the season they're, they're healed. Pray, God, that I did my best to convince them to get into a group. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, push them to a group. For those of you that's in this room, this is your first time in church. And before you get into community, you need to get in Christ. Before you're healed, you first need to be forgiven. And I want to introduce you to the advocate. His name is Jesus. He's the God that became a man. He's the God that lived a sinless and perfect life. And he came not to give us a book or a religion. He came to die on a cross for our sins. And all you need to do is place your faith in him. And you will be forgiven. And some of you, you don't just want forgiveness. You want healing too. But let's do step one first. Let's start a relationship with the living God. His name is Jesus. And with every eye closed and with every head bowed. If that's you this morning, 
God's been tugging on your heart. I feel like I need to start a relationship with this living God, this advocate, my personal DA that will shout in the throne of heaven, I died for him. You must acquit. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm gonna count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. I'd love to pray for you. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Amen, I see your hand. See your hand. I want you to pray this prayer, everyone out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, God, that if I confess my sin to you and repent, I will be forgiven. But God, there's another part. You want me to get in community. Because when I confess my sin in community, I'm healed. I want everything that you have for me, Jesus. And if you believe it, everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.